Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host Mac and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. I'm also your host Mac. (laughs) And And James. He's also your host Mac. (laughs) Yes, it's important to tell that we are all Mac. Yes, Yes. they're they're all Mac. I, I am three entities divided hive mind he's coming for the rest of you i'm the worst part of mac (laughs) (laughs) yeah he fucking hates jazz fusion yes and he's the the hooded kermit yes (laughs) (laughs) you're like oh man this album is great and everyone thinks this album is great me it's it's five out of ten that's dude that's like that's an ancient meme at this point holy shit it is you just pulled that out of my fucking look man deep, deep memories i gotta keep everything cataloged right all right, that's fair. You know, we need someone to do that. I'm sure, like, one day, like, 100 years from now, there's going to be, like, archivists yeah. going on Know Your Meme. Historians. And <laughs> historians and <laughs> looking at the internet trends at the time. There was a thing on Snapchat I saw where it was just, like, the story of Boxy. Do you remember that? Holy shit. I was, like, in Bruh. a time machine. I was I was like, oh, no way. we've got to go back, Marty. Like, I was like, what in the world? I was like, that... Did not exist like that's is that from the 90s and i was just like man i'm old I'm getting no old. dude i remember when hell. i remember when boxy became popular Holy it's boxing god i mean the beginnings of the internet man dude. i remember when i first discovered youtube i was watching like, like power smosh. rangers episodes when i was like 10 smosh and like in like amvs of like anime oh man dude in the end amv dude Oop. there's this it's still on youtube i looked it up the other day there's this crisis core amv to uh i will not bow by breaking benjamin hell yeah <laughs> and I've, dude i've watched that like a hundred times <laughs> hell yeah oh my god <laughs> but uh yeah so today we're going to be talking about james's pick a farewell to kings by rush 1977 yes 1977 what uh, a time this was an interesting point in rush's career to prepare for this, because I haven't, I haven't listened to Rush in like a long, long time. Uh, mm, how dare you? To prepare for this. Awful. I know, right? I listen to them almost every day. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm not as big of a Rush head as you guys, but I do appreciate their musicality and, and their artistry because, you know, they are they're great. They're a fantastic band. I was talking about this earlier with James, but like when he picked this album, I like groaned mentally <gasps> because... <laughs> I knew I was going to have to like really, really, really sit down and and break down all the different, you know, parts of these 11 minute sci-fi fantasy epics and break down all those philosophical and and literature references and all their music. And uh, well, this won't be the first one, fool. I better be ready. I know. I, well, I mean uh, the last one. That's just the first one. This won't, this won't be the first. <laughs> oh yeah, let's let's have all our next three be like. We'll do Tales of Topographic Oceans by Yes. Then we'll do yeah, Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull. And then we'll do like <laughs> some fucking Uriah yeah. Heap al- album or a damn King King Crimson. No, yes. we're not. We're not going to pigeonhole ourselves. As nothing. The prog cast. No, nothing but prog epics, Mac. Listen. If the song ain't longer than ten minutes, it ain't a song. I mean, let's some, someone can dedicate. Their entire lives to analyzing Prague. Come on now. I appreciate it, but sometimes, man, I'm like, I gotta really be in the mood to listen to some Prague. Is Prague is one of the biggest 50 50 genres. When you listen to 10 songs, five are good, the other five are crap. This is true. Thankfully, Rush is uh, mostly consistent throughout the 70s and 80s, I'd say. Mostly. I mean, their early stuff is. There, there's definitely a stylistic shift in the 80s. Oh, yeah, for with, sure. With uh, starting with Signals, in my opinion. 
permanent waves, but signals is really when they enter the 80s. I'd argue that A Farewell to Kings is kind of like the, the turning point of their stylistic sound. Hmm. It isn't like the full commitment that they do, you know, in the 80s beyond that point. I think that's moving about. pictures because I think that they start having, they start getting, getting into those scents. I mean, you have like YYZ and you have like Vital Signs. That's really kind of like their bridge album, I feel like. But I think A Farewell to Kings was like the first signs of their stylistic change. Closer to the Heart is definitely, was their biggest radio hit yeah, at it's, the time. Yeah, it's still <laughs> one of their biggest hits yeah. to this day. Yeah. yeah, it still gets played everywhere. Yeah, that's what on Trailer Park Boys, that's what Bubbles kidnaps Alex Lifeson and makes him teach him that song on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, man, Trailer Park Boys is a great show. Come on, Alex Lifeson, go ahead, go ahead and teach him guitar. <laughs> now, the, the newer seasons are terrible. Dookie. The movies, terrible. The cartoon, mm. terrible. But the actual, the original, like, seven-season run, fantastic. Rest in peace. Hilarious show. It's basically adult Ed, Ed, and Eddie. It works well, too, because... They're all Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Canada. Rush is like their baby. Yeah. As far as they're I heroes. understand. Like, they're heroes. Rush is Canada. the best Canadian band. I can't mm. I can't argue with that. The only two bands that I know are for sure Canadian, or like art music artists in general, are Rush and Justin Bieber, so. Drake. They're not hitting on much. There's more Canadian musicians. I'm just not. I'm, not, I'm blanking hardcore Yeah, I'm right blanking. Now. <laughs> I'm sure there are. Rush is one of the best. I will say that. Fellow Canadians in our audience, please tell us some good Canadian music. Forgive us for our ignorance. <laughs> Rush, for those who don't know, is a Canadian progressive rock band formed in 1968 by Alex Lifeson, John Rutsey, and Jeff Jones. So Jones was actually only their drummer until 76 and was eventually replaced by the, or not Jones, sorry, Rutsey was the drummer, but he only stayed in the band until 1974 when he was replaced by Neil Peart, who is the drummer for the rest of their career. The professor. Jeff Jones was replaced by Getty Lee almost immediately. That's when the original, where the true like Rush trio formed. So Alex Lifeson, Getty Lee, Neil Peart. And what a trio it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, um, these guys are pretty renowned. Probably one of the most successful rock acts in history with selling over 40 million albums worldwide. They went platinum like 14 times in the U.S., uh, 17 times in Canada, and I, I believe they are in the top 100 selling rock acts of all time. That's pretty freaking good for a prog band. I would say they're probably the most popular prog band of all time. Oh, for sure. Is there, is there any other prog bands that come close? Maybe like Genesis. Yeah, gen uh, probably Genesis. Pink Floyd. Would be the one. Pink Floyd. Def actually, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is yeah. the prog band. Yeah, Pink. Sorry. It's well, yeah. It <sighs> it's Pink Floyd and then Rush. Dude, Floyd is a prog band. <laughs> okay, yeah. Floyd is a prog band. They're, Do they, not even get me started. They have elements of prog in them for sure. Animals is straight up a prog album. It is, yeah. To me, the, but to there me, are some other of their stuff that's more along the lines of psychedelic, of course. Yeah, of course. For me to be a prog album, you need four or five things. You need you need that cl that classical music influence in some parts of your songs, and the influence of like other genres that are really kind of outside of rock. That rock doesn't delve into a lot, like classical music, um, world music, and stuff like like stuff like flamenco and Afrobeat, and yeah, you know, other just other stuff, and just classical in general. Yeah, it just pulls need, from a lot of different. Yeah, you need, pushes com them. You need complex time signatures and and licks. You need, I feel like Prague is also when more instruments are played, you have more instrumentation outside of the normal 
guitars, you know, and drums. You have like you'll have piano, you'll have synthesizers, you'll have you know violins, you'll have orchestration, you'll have different percussion. Not a whole lot of horns. Yeah, and also a yeah. lot of the the features of concepts, whether that be in songs or albums. Yeah, yeah, a lot of prog and albums. also the song length. A lot of a lot of prog albums are definitely like high concepts, like story albums, and they're usually characterized by a lot of really long, like epic, grand story type tracks. Like Dark Side is a progressive album. Yeah, yeah, that's a prog album, one hundred percent. The Wall is too. Yeah, so is yeah. Animals. Animals. They just they inco- they have such a different sound from a lot of prog bands. I because mean, a lot of the classic ones. I mean, yeah. they forego a lot of like a lot of classical influence and complex instrumentation. For they really lean heavily on more of like the conceptual side, the song length, and right. like yeah. the multi instrumentation of prog. Whereas Rush is the complex riffs and time signatures there's a little bit of that classical influence you can hear that in farewell to kings and like oh, madrigal yeah. farewell to kings actually had a lot of different you know you will have like the gong and like all the different percussion and oh yeah like, you know, there's the, a classical the bell, guitar the xylophone the chimes so the acoustic guitar and all kinds of yeah stuff. like yeah. neil peart is responsible for like nine or ten instruments on this album <laughs> yeah i've seen him play <laughs> which is normal I've seen him play like a big like piano where he's like hitting the notes with his drumsticks like yep. live. Yep, he has that he has, crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, and it, actually on this, I'll just I'll go ahead and tell you the list here. He he does the drums, the orchestra bells, the wind chimes, the bell tree, the vibra slap, the triangle, the tubular bells, and temple blocks. Bro, a vibra slap, yeah. goaded instrument. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> if if you if it's an instrument, you have to hit. I know. You gush over Neil a lot, but I think it's it's warranted. Neil yeah. is Neil is an excellent drummer. He's a multi instrumental virtuoso of the drums, and probably one of the most respected rock drummers of all time. Absolutely, he's yeah. my number one rock drummer. Yeah, it's it's always Neil and John Bonham. They're always in like the same conversation. Yeah, especially like with rock drumming and yeah, absolutely. Honestly, even drumming in general. Although yeah. I do think there are some there might be some better drummers. Neil was definitely a rock drummer. For sure. Like, he dabbled in some jazz and stuff, but he had the groove, but he never had the feel of a jazz drummer. You know? Yeah. There is a difference there. <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah. Although I do think there are some jazz drummers that could beat his ass, but... Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Neil, Neil Dev, he respected and he was influenced by the jazz drummers, but he's definitely a rock drummer. Yeah. His, like, his biggest influence, one of his biggest influences is probably actually Keith Moon who drummed for the who and if you notice Neil is very busy he's a really busy drummer he is always doing something wild and crazy and unorthodox his dude his fills always impress me you can hear Keith Moon behind him you ever feel like sometimes Keith Moon was too busy yes definitely Neil kind of made it a little more tasteful I'm glad I'm not the only one you know you're doing something whether either like wrong or like really good when like a layman that doesn't really know drums like myself can point stuff out. That's why I think Neil stands apart because he does stuff that even I'm like, ooh, spice. Yeah. Bisse. The way he makes songs feel is just incredible. It's so listenable, 
even if they're playing like crazy time signatures and shit. The intro to Farewell to Kings when they come in with the big riff, that's in 7-4. Yeah, I actually noticed that. I was like, this is not in a normal time Yeah, if you, if you really all. listen to it and count, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Or Strangiato when there's literally every time signature ever invented ever in that one song. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it transitions so seamlessly. Yeah, it's just so smooth. That's really the mark of a great drummer is being able to take complex, like complicated lines and rhythms and just smooth it out and make it so easy to listen to not to mention i mean alex lifeson and getty lee were no slouches either oh lifeson is a top tier guitar player it's unfortunate because he's probably the least known member of rush like most people know getty and most people know neil even if they're not huge rush fans but yeah alex he was integral to their sound Kind of getting back to A Farewell to Kings, their previous album, 2112, it was their true breakthrough. Their first three albums were not doing as well. They just came off of the biggest flop of their career so far with Caress of Steel. 2112 was a very ballsy move. There was like, hey, can we get less of the prog stuff? And they're just like, oh yeah, let's double down on that. The record label wanted them to go in a more pop rock-oriented direction, a more radio-friendly direction. Like their first album. Like their first album. Yep. But Rush said, no, we're making this even more prog and more conceptual, and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, big old just double gig. Just, <laughs> just this, this time it will work. Most, yeah. most times when people say that, it's, it doesn't. But in their case, Rush knocked it out of the park. 2112 was their breakthrough album. It did well in the U.S. and Canada and pretty much saved their careers. It's one of the most revered and most respected albums of their career and of the prog genre as a whole. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was actually my first introduction to prog rock as a genre, and I was completely blown away by it. So I can understand Hmm. why this album did so well. I mean, it's cool. It's very out of left field. I mean, there weren't too many albums that were taking on that kind of... Like the the operatic, operatic, symphonic rock. Yeah. You know, nobody was really doing that. I also also like the duality of the album that it's just like, you know what, if you don't like that style, here's the second half of the album, which is just a compilation of songs. It's like the first half is like, you know, we'll have this whole narrative, this like big prog symphony. The second half, business as usual. It's not like we're not... Yeah, we're not going to make the whole thing that way. Just half. I don't like that. With A Farewell to Kings, their follow-up, they felt that they needed to go a different direction so they wouldn't be confined to their normal progressive rock sound, so they mm-hmm. wouldn't be pigeonholed as just a conceptual progressive rock band that only makes these high-concept epics that you have to like really sit down and listen to and can't just enjoy. So we come along to A Farewell to Kings. I think this is the turning point of where they start to become a little more radio and rock friendly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think you can get that with tracks like A Farewell to Kings, Closer, uh, Closer to, the to the Heart, and even Madrigals to some extent. Mm. I see what you're saying. I still think it's Permanent Waves. That's really where the shift happens. I, I think there, I think that was where it completely happened, but I think A Farewell to Kings was like the spark. Yeah, it was the spark. It, like You can see hints of it there, especially with Closer to the Heart. Well, they do what every smart prog band should do if they just want like any mainstream success. They tone their songs down where it's like, we can have a real progressive song that has all these themes and concepts, but let's make it like eight to ten minutes. Let's not go crazy. Let's, yeah. and, let, and let's not make our albums, you know, some of their contemporaries were like, yes, we're making albums. Or it's like, you look at, you look like, like Thick as a Brick, which is like a big whole thing in one, or like... Close to the Edge. Yeah, Close to the Edge and Relayer, which were like two to three songs. 
Yeah. That are like that long. They're like, let's make this die. Let's make this digestible. Let's go like wish you were here, which has some, you know, some long tracks, but we've got a few of them. We don't just have like three. Cause there's, there's something about having a, a track list that's less than five songs, especially on a full length LP that just makes people feel just, even if they, even if like the songs are just real action packed and full chock full of things, they feel like I'm almost getting shorted. They just feel, they see that, that just, that is only those few songs and like, Something isn't right here. They just, you can't help but feel like you're getting less. And I think they really did the best thing they could have with taking these and making these more shorter, more concise. It ends up sounding better because before the song really gets stale, it ends and it's just like, oh, it's just wrapped up perfectly instead of just going just on. On and on Mm. for maybe another like verse or two. Yeah, which yeah. is why I think that Cygnus Book One on this album is just a really good prog track, and it ends right when it's supposed to. And Cygnus Book Two on the next album, Hemispheres, kind of goes on a little too long, and it kind of drags. I'd have to agree, actually. It just does not hit as hard. I just straight up don't like that song, which is weird because I think Circumstances, The Trees, and La Vila String Yado like all just like hit. So if they like were to they replace that song with like two different songs. I think that that album would have been a whole could have been like or just a better version of book two. Yeah, I feel like that <laughs> yeah. could, that, that album could that album a more has, concise. Bro. There's a lot of potential. Yeah, in that album, that album could have easily been their best had they done some had it had a better beginning. First impressions are important. Now, a farewell to kings is actually considered a companion piece to hemispheres. Now, I do believe that both records stand on their own, but they're binded together by. Cygnus X1 and Cygnus X2. Which one do y'all like better? Farewell to Kings. Easy. Yeah. Easy. I love Hemispheres, but Farewell to Kings, I think, is better. Way better. I wouldn't say way better. No, I think it's way better. You think it's way better? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, actually. Okay. Ooh, spicy. Mm, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know. La Vila String, you, you, I don't think you guys estimate how that much is, I, I love that song. Well, like, that's the That best. song carries that, that album. That song makes that a top five, six rush album, no matter what. I feel like that is the quintessential prog rock track. I disagree. I think Xanadu is better. I think Xanadu is the best Rush song. What do you think, Matt? What do you think is the best? Hitting you hard with this one. Man. uh... Well, I don't think, let me clarify, I don't think Strangiato is the quintessential Rush track. I think it is the quintessential prog rock track. Because you kind of get everything that prog rock does in a song. That's even spicier. I except like, for except for the lyrics. I mean, it doesn't I, have lyrics. I mean, yeah. If you want to do something like that, I'd say you could probably pick like like a yes epic that yeah. has like a little bit of everything. It has like that classical, maybe a little bit of folk. It's long. It's got lyrics. So maybe something like you know, close to the edge or Starship Trooper or yours is no. I you know yours is no disgrace could be up there. I I respect your opinion, Garrett. I do love that song as well. I would pick Xanadu. Go ahead. What makes Xanadu so good to you? I just think it exemplifies those those things better. Not only that that it has the added element of the lyrics and the singing and everything, but it's symphonic rock in its purest form. Is it because it has the added like lyrical story to it? That definitely elevates that, it for th- me. Part of it, yeah, that's a big part. Yeah, of it. that and the the structure of that song is it's perfect, excellent. <laughs> There's never a dull moment, and it's an eleven minute song, and I yeah. I. Mm. Personally, long songs, I'm very picky about. Yeah. And I am engaged the entire time in Xanadu. I'll, I'll change, I'll say it for instrumental prog rock. There is a lot that I forgot. There's a lot to be said about a theme that hits 
I think Xanadu does do that very well. It's a theme. It's a story. It's actually a poem. Yeah, it was a poem by. Um, yeah, it, yeah. it was by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. He wrote a poem about Kublai Khan, mm-hmm. who was responsible for one of the most prolific empires in human history. The Mongols. I mean, he basically piggybacked off of Genghis Khan. But oh yes, mm-hmm. it still stands. Legendary figure for sure. And you know the the story of Xanadu as a track really elevates it for me over Livia Strangiato. It's a poem about this guy trying to find paradise and immortality. You know, he's talking mm-hmm. about dining on you honeydew. Know, honeydew and, and drinking the milk, the milk of, of paradise. And the milk of paradise. And the song is like a, a giant metaphor for, I would say, the isolation of fame and fortune. Yeah, because at the end of the song, he's trying to escape. You know, a thousand years go by and he realizes that he's miserable and that he's completely out of touch with the society around him and he's lost everything that he once knew. And I feel like fame in some ways does the same thing. When you become famous, you're like you're in you're in a whole different world. This is not the last song that Neil will write about this subject. And Neil himself, I mean, to add even further, like Neil's a very private guy. He's done maybe ten interviews or less. Rush like rest video in interviews. Yeah. Rush yes, rest in peace, Neil. Rush had a 40-year career, over 40 years. 10 interviews or less, it was something like that. He also almost never met fans. Whenever you got like a meet and greet tickets for like Rush, like VIP or some shit, it was always, almost always just Getty and Alex. Neil was almost never there. He wouldn't meet fans. And it's understandable. I mean, fame can be suffocating. Uh, imagine, you know, just going to the grocery store and, and like 15 people recognize you and they all want pictures and autographs and they He's talk all, about yeah. you. He's also not very animated live. No. Like sometimes Alex and Getty, they'll get very like animated and kind of do like, you know, yep. interact with each other and we'll stay to look at each other and give each other all kind of like visual communications. And then there's Alex just, well, yeah, just Neil, sitting there. Neil, just, he's even when they look at him, he's just kind of like, oh, we'll give a nod. He won't really just get, he's a yeah. very just, he is famously introverted. Great writer. I, though. I yeah. could, I could bring up MF Doom for the fifth time on our podcast. But. <laughs> You'll refrain from it this time. <laughs> I'll huh? refrain from it this time. <laughs> well, yeah, we, let's. Let's get into the album. And now we already kind of got into the album. Now, Xanadu is actually the second track. Before we get onto that, we should also mention that Xanadu was recorded live in one take. Wait, well, really? Yes. Strangiato actually was too. Yeah. Xanadu, well, it was technically two because they did a practice run of it before the recording to make sure they had everything down and make some small adjustments here and there, but they recorded it in one take. Yeah, nuts. Yeah. Impressive. But yes, A Farewell to Kings, beautiful opening track. I love that classical guitar, that classical on guitar opening. Mm. Man, the intro. It gives, I love it. it gives the album almost this fantasy-esque theme and tone. Which is perfect for it. Which is great <laughs> for it. It, it does kind of disappear towards the end of the, of the album, but... Now, it's to be said that I learned this after the album. I'm just like, that makes perfect sense. For this album, they actually left... Toronto and anywhere in Canada to record they actually recorded this in like a little cottage area in England. You can definitely kind of feel that like magical fantasy element with some of the uh especially like a lot of like the acoustic pieces and stuff. You're just like I can feel this headspace. Yeah, and I think that's elevated as well by all of the unique instrumentation brought in. I mean, you know, the the temple blocks, the chimes and orchestra bells and all that it all gives it a very almost a storybook feel which of course neil had a lot of that shit with him live seeing them play this album live is something to behold that 360 drum kit dude like (laughs) neil Neil of course has a famous drum kit which is it's 360 it's all the way around him and especially later on in like the 80s 
he had a actual rotating like drum riser and it would just rotate around he would just lift his legs up and the drum set would rotate and he would just sit down and then start playing on the other side of the set and a lot of times it was a set that complemented each other like there was an acoustic mostly acoustic set and then there was the electronic set on the other side you should go check out their live performances of this album i actually saw them live that's right you have before they disbanded (laughs) nothing short of amazing and i will always remember it for the rest of my life what'd they play it was the uh, Time Machine tour, and so they played Moving Pictures in its entirety. Oh, it was fucking amazing! I bet everybody went nuts for Tom Sawyer. <laughs> I mean, they did. Bro, I would have went nuts but, for YYZ. That was the first yeah. Rush song I ever heard. But they they also played like a lot of their other stuff too, like some of the '80s stuff, the '90s stuff, '70s stuff too. Like they played Twenty One Twelve, like the intro and the Temples of Syrinx. But yeah, um, A Farewell to Kings, great tone setter for the album. Fantastic track. I love that buildup of the classical guitar builds up and builds up, and then it just explodes into the main portion of the song. Yeah, like almost one, immediately. Yeah, they they in that nice little classical intro, and there's like a rest, like a measure or so, and then bam, they just hit you with it, dude. Yeah, r- complete whiplash. And uh, one thing I I did kind of notice, and I had to, I had to check back a couple of times to make sure that I was listening to this right. The acoustic part is actually using a lot of the same uh, notes and riffs as the rest of the song. You know, the introduction is literally an introduction to the riffs and the music you're going to hear later on. They did that a lot, and that's one of the things I love about them so much. Rush has this great way of subliminally introducing ideas to the listener and And, then developing and expanding them later. Even through a song, not just an album, but just a song. Uh, Attention to detail is really the the key word here, the key phrase, I should say. That is the hallmark of Rush music. You can just tell immediately, like whenever you're listening to a Rush song, just each individual musician, you can tell each of their parts has so much thought put into every single little detail. With that being said, I feel like the third track, maybe it's the third track, is it yeah. Cinderella Man? No, yeah, it's uh, Closer to the Heart. Bubbles and Trailer Park Boys really got me into this song. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> song. It really is. And it's probably the most commercially appealing on this album. Mm-hmm. And for good reason. It's a very condensed version of Rush's sound meant to appeal to that radio sound. I think this is, like I was saying earlier, where they really start to kind of play into more popular rock music. Yes. Which is not a bad thing. I appreciate that Rush can still embrace their prog elements while still making commercially appealing music. Agreed. This is true. Closer to the Heart was actually their first international hit. It got mm-hmm. a bunch of airplay in the UK. Actually. Oh, yeah. It was uh, 36. It peaked at 36 on the UK top 40. I don't remember the exact rankings, but it was on all of the US and Canada top 40 rankings for quite some time. And it still gets airplay today. I'd argue it's one of their most popular singles of all time. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Like, it's a wonderful song. It has a great meaning. Very inspiring, for sure. I don't think it's a... I looked on the track, and I was like, yeah, it's not in my top five like Rush hits. I even like Permanent Waves singles like Free Will and Spirit of the Radio. In fact, I feel like Permanent Waves is a good album to me just because of its singles. Like it's like singles and like popular songs like outweigh its duds. Speaking of which, this album, I think there's only one dud. I think it's Cinderella Man. I wasn't mm. really too impressed with that song. Cinderella Man. I it does have like- a really good story. It does have a really good story, but I just think that it's just 
the execution, the instrumentation is not there for me. But the story of like the naive man going to the city and all, and like society eventually kind of corrupts him. I think it's a really good story on paper. Just the execution, yeah, not really hitting. Um, much. It's actually based on uh, Mr. Well, Deeds Goes to Town. Really, uh, it's it was actually the only song written by Geddy Lee on this album. It was pretty much his thoughts and his feelings on the story and the themes of that movie. Stick to bass playing, Geddy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like. I actually like. This I mean, it's not bad. It's um, still a, a, a skip to me. I I think it's very funky. Like towards the second half, you know, you start hearing that like wah pedal. Yeah, when they go into the solo section. Into the solo section, and it's it's got that that nasty ass baseline. Yeah, and, and Neil's playing that the upbeat. I actually quite like Cinderella Man, but I kind of see what you're saying in comparison to the rest of. The I mean, tracks. it is definitely the worst song on the album. Like. I mean, Farewell to Kings, Xanadu, Cygnus X1. Like, these are all, like, colossal rush Masterpieces. Epics. And then you have Cinderella Man, which I'd say is, like, a, not a middle-of-the-road rush track, but above average. I see people crapping on, like, Madrigal, but I think that carries the feeling more than Cinderella Man does. It's got that very folksy, very fantasy-like yeah. sound. Like, the idea of Cinderella Man is good, but that could use a little bit better execution. Yeah, like, thematically... It doesn't really fit with the rest of the album, and that to me kind of makes it feel really out of place. I feel like that's the the biggest like detractor that you could say about Rush over their whole career is that sometimes they'll get good ideas and they just kind of like force them in there, like oh that's going to be in the song, and they put them in there. It really is very apparent when you get into like the late eighties and nineties that there's a lot of like lyrics and concepts that are ham fisted and just shoved into a song, and you're just like this does not fit at all. Like, this feels very forced. Yeah. <laughs> Cinderella Man does feel that way a little bit. But not, 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 I mean, a it's still lot. overall like a good song. Yeah. I think it's a good song in the vacuum. Exactly. It's fine, but it doesn't really fit tonally or thematically with the rest of the album. The song by itself, the only real issue I have with it is probably the chorus. I think the chorus of the song doesn't fit well with the rest of the song. It's kind of whack. It's, just, it's this weird, like, ballady chorus in the middle of some, like, really funky, proggy song. Yeah. I like the song, but it's probably the weakest on the album, thinking about it now. But Madrigal, this is probably the least favorite among a lot of Rush fans yeah, I on know. this album, which I don't... I mean, I understand why, because it's really kind of a slow point. Like, I was talking to this about this with James earlier, but it's kind of overshadowed by everything else around it. It almost kind of reminds me of how Rivendell was on Fly By Night, where you just said that mm, very relaxing, very mm, classical and fantasy. You really just get, what's that What's that word for when you kind of like absorb yourself like into the story? Immersion. Immersion, It yeah. gives you a little bit of immersion. It, it slows down the pace and catches you up as a listener. It's kind of a, a quick reprieve from these really intense, really complex and orchestrated rock epics. I think it's well-placed because yeah. the following track, Cygnus X1, I mean, that, that, that is <laughs> It's hard. That is very intense. It yes. ramps up. Mm. And, that dun, 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 and, and just, mm. on top of that, um, Cygnus does feel out of place thematically with the rest of the album, but I think Madrigals is what helps bridge the gap to that. Suddenly we're moving into a sci-fi epic here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is a little jarring, but even though it doesn't fit with the rest of the album tonally and thematically. Cygnus X1, book one, the voyage. The The name is not very good, but... <laughs> 
Trust me, this song is amazing. It should have just been called like. <laughs> Who else is doing that shit, man? Should like, just been called on. Cygnus like, the Voyage, dude. That seriously, okay. That is one thing that has always annoyed the fuck out of me about prog bands. Terrible titles, like the worst song track titles you can imagine. I mean, you gotta understand, a lot of these dudes are fucking nerds. Like series five, part nerds. one, the yeah. sword of the Balrog, which, which you know it's cool and all, but like imagine, like imagine you're at a bar talking to your homies about some music, and you're like, "Oh, hey, bro, did you listen to uh, Cygnus X11, five five thirteen, piss cum, alien anti story?" Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Damn, bro, that track was sick. Then you have some sort, someone's that shine on you, crazy diamond or something, or like gates of delirium. It's like, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, like Prague, <laughs> Prague, 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 Prague song titles. Prague yeah. song titles are very hit or, hit or miss for me. Another red nightmare. Twenty <laughs> first century schizoid man. I I actually love this. I fucking love that song, dude. Oh. That album, the first King Crimson album is a 10. We're very close. Not right. Revealing that already. Yeah. <laughs> I, Damn. I, am, I am a simp for Bill Bruford. I'll let you know. It's okay. I am too. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to love. We're, gonna, all, we're all King Crimson simps. Here. You're, you're yeah. going to love when I do Fragile because his work on there is just Dude. seminal. Him and, him and Chris Clark carry Whereas I feel like a little bit of a tangent, but I'll keep it short. Steve Howe and John Anderson really carry the album, the Yes album, which was kind of like their breakthrough. But Bruford and Squire carry Fragile, whereas I think then when you get to Relayer, that one that was the long one was only three tracks. I think it's back to Steve Howe and then the keyboardist Rick Wakeman. They carry. It's, it's very interesting how it kind of like rotates because Rick Wakeman, the keyboardist, was actually complaining. He's like, I haven't really done anything these first two albums. Like, I haven't really got to shine. So they're like. Bitch. All right, bet. The fuck? They said, they said, all right, bet. You're Hold up now. On. You're up to bat. Bet, bro. The, the keyboard solo on Roundabout is one of the best keyboard solos of all time. Yeah. Come on now. Well, he complained. Shut the fuck up, He Rick. complained after, like, the Yes album. He was like, yeah, I didn't really get to do much. They were like, bet. Yes, pull up. I mean, he, <laughs> Rick has that track on Fragile, the fucking classical track that he plays. What, yeah. What is it called again? I can't remember. I think he was a little bit jealous that Steve Howe came into the band. Like it was the Yes album was Steve Howe like just joined the band and he's already getting like like the clap is like his own track. Like he is the only one playing on that track. So he's kind of like, really? Like this guy's gonna just come in and just get his own song and just do all this crazy stuff. And he's like, and I've been here for three albums and I can't, where's my, where's my Moog solo, man? Like, yeah. Where's my shining moment? Bro? Where's, where's my classical Bach Toccata and Fugue cover? Like uh, another problem in Prague is all the egos. Oh my God, the, dude. And don't even get me started. N- there's nothing worse than a nerd with an ego. Robert. Oh, I, big, <laughs> big opinion, but I, I have to share it on air. The biggest, what if, the biggest, like, if you're here in sports, all these great players like Derrick Rose, the players that got injured, big what-ifs, you know, what could their career have been? The biggest what-if, I think, in music, as far as, like, guitar, especially as guitar players go, if his ego didn't make him such a just awful person, he could have been a, a top-20 legend easy. Robert Fripp from King Crimson. If that man wasn't so far up his own <laughs> rear end, if he could keep a lineup consistently... <laughs> A top twenty great, easy. 
Yeah, but he's always like, guys, I gotta do something new. I gotta, I gotta fire Bill Bruford and John Wetton. You're gonna fire them? You're gonna let them go? You're only gonna write three albums with them? Are you insane? Like, like Greg Lake made sense. He wanted to leave. He wanted to do his own thing, and he made Emerson Lake and Palmer. The first group disbanding together, they all wanted to do. They all quickly discovered they wanted to do very different things. That's understandable. But you know that he. He literally told Bruford and Wet, and they were just like, "We can do this a while. We're having fun." He's like, "Nah, get out of you here." Know how stupid that is. Yeah, and they go stupid. on stupid, and they then go he's on like, to join Yes and make one of the best prog albums of all time. And then he's like, "Fucking tell me, do you?" If he and then he was like, instead of actually perfecting his craft, he wanted to do all these like ostrich tuning where every string is the same note, like, and it's just like he wanted to do all this like weird, crazy, out there technical stuff, but he didn't. Focus on his craft. Yeah, it's almost like he is the he is the guitar player version of like of someone like Shaq, who is just like you could you're good, but you could have been so much better if you would have tried and like been in shape and focused on your craft and not had your ego got in the way. He was too self indulgent, very and much pretentious so. for his own good, and he's he's yeah. still one of those people that's like, oh, you got to enjoy my music a certain way. You know, I don't like. I mean, King Crimson was one of the last bands to put their music on streaming service. He's like. Oh, you got to buy four albums, you know, do this. I mean, he just, uh, I mean, honestly, a douche. He's honestly a douche. And, like, his ego really got in the way of him being a great guitarist. I think that he had the potential to be a top 20 guitarist I mean, in the King, field of rock. King Crimson probably would have been as big as, like, Rush or Yes in, in the product space. As popular, I they mean. They keep a solid lineup. I mean, yeah. their lineup <laughs> with Bill Bruford and Wetton was a great run. They were getting into some really nice spaces. They were they were keeping it varied, but also still had the same sound. And then now I do I love their eighty stuff and I love that the space they made in that album, but man, the lineup changes really killed that band's momentum. Agreed, agreed. It's actually kind of funny. So the same thing happened with Black Flag. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh oh yeah. my god. Probably <laughs> even more so. Dude, like they're they are a revolving door. That band has had, I think, 15 members or more in its entire career. It's ridiculous. And it, they were changing members like every album. Honestly, sometimes every EP. Like uh, before, before Henry Rollins became the singer, they had four singers and they had released four EPs. They hadn't even released a full. It's ridiculous. Yet. I, I honestly wonder, like, how a band like Red Hot Chili Peppers even main, like, even survived to get like mainstream status, like as many members as they went through and like stuff like that. Yeah, Prague. Rush, I mean, they changed drummers like very early. I mean, then again, so did the Beatles. Rush is the only progressive band that like stayed tried and true. They're almost in their entire career because yeah. everything. Like Pink years. Floyd split in the nineties. King yeah. Crimson had more lineup changes than you can shake a stick at. Yes, fractured because Bruford left, and then they kind of had a argument with Squire like in the not late eighties, nineties. Yeah, and John Anderson and Steve Howe and. They they wanted to go in different directions and yeah. shit. Uh, Genesis, Peter Gabriel left, and then there's the things with Phil and his solo albums. Like all prog, Rush is the most consistent. I mean, they all got along. They were friends, and they stayed true to the end until they until they retired. And that's part of why they're the biggest one of the biggest prog bands of all time. Yeah, and now they definitely had egos. Don't get me wrong. Well, yeah, but I think because they were so close and they were such good friends, they were able to kind of. Embrace it more than yeah. anything. They they set they up embrace a good, each other. Yeah, they set up a good system too. And I watched an interview once with when Getty was talking about how they would discuss things and work on things in the band. And he said that if one of us 
didn't want to do something or didn't like something, it was scrapped. If if Wait, just one, really? yeah, he he said if just one person, one of us did not like something or did not want to do something, that was it. End of discussion. We we were not going to do that thing. It was either everyone wanted to do it or nothing, hmm. and they kept to that rule. I'm I'm genuinely impressed that a prog band from the seventies was able to agree on stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> I'm honestly, well, it's, it's impressive, and it's it's a situation where big example of a band where everyone has like an equal creative input where it's like everyone could write like really good songs and it's not just one guy being the brainchild. Always, my example is always Queen because like all four of them wrote a hit. Every member of the band wrote a like wrote singles. Mm-hmm. Rush is kind of like that too. I mean, Strangato was Alex's child and Getty Lee did a bunch of like, you know, like Wawa Z and stuff and like Cinderella Man and Pert wrote, you know, 2112 was his like brainchild. The like, overwhelming all, majority of it. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it was Pierre, their biggest lyricist. I mean, they yeah, all Pierre had did everything. They all had chops. Yeah, but they all had they exactly. I mean, they all had shining moments throughout their entire careers. Really something to behold, but let's let's kind of steer it back into Cygnus X1. So, I have an interesting thought about this song. I yes. think this is one of the earliest signs of prog metal. Really? Mm. I'm, dude, I'm dead serious. I can definitely see that. I actually, am. yeah, I haven't, I hadn't thought about that before, and you just saying that, I'm like, holy shit! Because, like, right. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I, I used to listen to a lot of prog metal, and a lot of it is like space themed. A lot of these grand, like, 10, 15 minute songs, like Sithuai, I think, is a really good example of that. I think he was directly inspired by this song. Also, dude, like, I hear a lot of Dream Theater, and yeah, yeah. Well, Dream no, Theater Dream was, Theater yeah. covered this song. They covered this song, and they covered Xanadu one time. Yeah, no, seriously, like, this song, it, it has all the hallmarks of prog metal. I mean, if you talk to any prog metal artist, they will tell you Rush is one of their fam- favorite bands. Matt, give us some good prog metal recommendations. <laughs> right now? Uh, Do it. Polyphia, New Metals, New Levels, New Devils, Sithuai, Cassini, Helix Nebula, uh, Meridian. But yeah, no, um, there, there are some, there's a lot of good prog metal, but there's also a lot of fucking garbage. To bring up my point again, this song has all the prog metal hallmarks, like the really intense and aggressive, like solos, like at the, it was, I believe it was like the eight minute and 20 second mark where that solo comes in at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That dude, that to me screamed prog metal. That crazy ass riff they were playing yeah, at the end. Yeah. Towards it's the so end, aggressive like, and it starts to get a little like reverby and distorted. Yeah. Uh, the whole like space epic theme. I mean, dude, so much prog music has space and fantasy themes and it doubles for prog metal. <laughs> dude, they or love historical it. battles. Or like yeah, historical, historical dude, yeah. sab- okay. <laughs> S- Sabaton? Sabaton, yes. I, I, I knew you were about to say that. <laughs> I do not care for Sabaton at all. They only write about like historical They are war. the <laughs> most one trick pony fucking metal band of all time. <laughs> I, well, I enjoy listening to it, but that's because I'm I, a fucking history nerd. Fucking, that's because you're well, a fucking history this nerd. Is why, yeah. This is why I really get, I feel like this way about even really good bands that are a one trick, like, but Rage Against the Machine, I can really, I have to be in a very specific mood because it's just like politics and government and politics and government and government and politics. It's like, can we get some different stuff? Well, I mean, that's what, that was their main motive. I know, and that's what they're about. But They talk about social issues, too. But it's like how much, it's kind of like once you have to really be in the mood for it to really like be enjoying it. 
And also, I feel like if they weren't as groovy and like great as they were, they wouldn't have been like near as good of a band just because of their just social political mm. issues they talked about. Same with Sabaton. If they weren't as like, if the singer wasn't as good, man, you'd be like, bro, how many times are you going to talk about like not killing Nazis in World War II? Yeah, like, how fucking, much of this do we have to listen to? Fucking Rommel's Ghost Division. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, who the fuck talks about that? And like, <laughs> I know people were just like, they talk an awful lot about Nazis. I'm just like, you know what? Like, I get that they're trying to talk about history like without a bias, but at some point, do you really need to have that many songs about Nazi Germany? Can we, like, there are other wars. Like, can we just chill? <laughs> well, it's probably the most relevant war to our current existence right now, so it affected a lot of shit. So I get it, but I do agree. There's a lot more to history than World War II. Tell Call of Duty that. <laughs> Sabaton is very mid, though. I, I do not like them at all. <laughs> I don't know. There's like there's there's some there's some cool like merit to the, what they're doing, but yeah, basically the only thing that I really care for about them is the subject matter. If they didn't talk about that shit, then the, yeah, they're pretty mid. Exactly. But you know what's not mid? Cygnus X One. <laughs> Heck yeah. Damn, I'm sorry, guys. We just. <laughs> Okay. I think we talked. Gone, I think we, no, we talked about a good deal. Yeah, a good deal. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring something up about like what you were talking about earlier with the theme of the song and the theme of the instruments and the music, just mm-hmm. so closely bring it tying up. together. What's that moment at the end where he gets like sucked into the black hole? Even like Getty Lee's vocal Vocals, performance. Yeah. Reflects this. And yeah, I, I think that is so cool. He like, like straight up screams, and he's like, and it, it starts fades to like, out. like you really, you really feel like you're in fucking space, in in deep space on your spaceship, getting sucked in by this horrific black hole. I Into mean, a fucking like, abyss. It's it's intense, dude. It's it's. I'm telling you, like even the subject matter of the song is super metal. No, this this song honestly gives me goosebumps. So does Xanadu, but this one too. Like it, it's genuinely creepy this could have been the soundtrack for like some horrifying like 70s science fiction movie like i bet you this could have been on like aliens or something like that it's it's a hell of a closer that's all i gotta say absolutely with that being said shall we get into our final thoughts yes trust i'll go first i'll let you go first garrett now this rush album isn't my favorite but it is in the top five easy on first listen it made its way there and i'm just like of course you like you know kind of a no-brainer Kind of like Wish You Were Here is a, in the top five Pink Floyd. It's kind of like you listen to that. Even the first time, like I don't need to digest this. It's, I think, right up there. Xanadu is a classic. Great live song. Cygnus X1, I had literally no... Like Cygnus Book 2, I mean, I'm a big hater of Cygnus Book 2. It is what it is. And I, I, my expectations were on the floor for Cygnus Book 1, and it blew, just blew me away. Way better than the second book. I mean, it just... I was like, wow. This is like... Now, like one of my favorite Rush songs, and I didn't. Ha- I thought it was gonna be very similar with that, like sci-fi, but also like weird mythology mix. And I was like, not what wasn't really feeling that in book two, but book one blew me away. And I mean, you know, I love Closer to the Heart, and I really liked Madrigal. A lot of people didn't like it, but I like that. I really like Rivendell from Fly by Night. So that whole like really soft fantasy, mm-hmm. soft acoustic. Farewell to Kings into Xanadu, just a really good like two-part banger, first part of an album, and. I mean, Cinderella Man was a dud on the album. Was I considered that a skip? But uh, I think overall, this album's an eight. Give me your thoughts, James. This album is quintessential Rush. It's quintessential Prague. 
this is definitely one of the albums that is a must listen if you're trying to get into Prague. I wouldn't say this will be the first Prague album you should listen to, but once you're on that journey, listening to progressive rock and progressive music in general, A Farewell to Kings should definitely be an early listen. It has amazing tracks, as Garrett was talking about. Cygnus X1, amazing track. Xanadu, it exemplifies everything that Rush is. It's not only progressive rock, it is symphonic rock. It really, really shows, highlights everything that Rush can do and everything about their sound. That's why it's the best Rush song. But overall, yeah, I would rate this in definitely my top five Rush albums, top five prog albums in general. And I'm getting, going to give this album a nine. Very spicy. Now, I had been saving my thoughts for last for a very specific reason. You also are you gonna are you gonna do the ranking the top five? Yes. Ranking? Oh, I, I'm excited. So off camera, they asked me what my favorite Rush albums were. You had to be Mister Mystery, or and I went back and I dug into their discography because I really wanted to understand and have like a holistic point of view of their music when talking about Farewell to Kings. And I believe Farewell to Kings is tied with Twenty One Twelve. For one of their best albums. Oh shit. Period. Damn. Okay. Yeah. I was not expecting that. I think A Farewell to Kings is one of their most concise and impressive works in their entire discography. Damn. All right. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, let's get the rest I do of the not, top I do not think it tops moving pictures, nor do I think 2112 mm. tops moving pictures. Thank mm. you. I feel validated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving pictures is definitely my all time favorite Rush album. But 2112 and Farewell to Kings are tied and right there. I thoroughly enjoyed this album. I was honestly, I was dreading listening to it when James picked it because I did not really feel like listening to a 70s prog rock album. <laughs> Listen, I love prog, but sometimes it can just be a little much and it can be a lot of work to review. See, and it was. Yeah. See, I picked this album because I had a feeling that you were really going to enjoy it. I, I I fucking loved this album. I mean, there are a few things that I do think could have been worked on. Like, honestly, your points about Cinderella Man, Garrett, were very good. I really liked the track initially, but thinking about it now, you know, the chorus is a bit shaky. It really doesn't fit thematically with the rest of the album. Now, neither does Cygnus X1, but Cygnus X1 is just... It's so cool you can't... You it, it's so it. cool <laughs> that I can overlook it. Yeah. And... I, I think this is one of the most approachable progressive rock albums of the time period. Like if I were to recommend a prog album or a prog rock album to listen to for a beginner, this would be in that list. Easy. Like moving pictures and a farewell to Kings. If you want an entry point to rush, those are the two albums you should go to. I thoroughly enjoyed it. What's the, what's the rest of your top five? The rest of my top five. So we, we got, got the first three. Yeah, we got, we got moving mo- pictures. So moving pictures. 2112 and, and Farewell are tied. So it's four and five. Three, four, five. I'll give you four and five. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say Hemispheres is five. And then four would either be... You might get, You guys might get mad at me for this. Possibly. Your list is very is almost identical to mine. So we'll see what four is. Honestly, Permanent Waves. I didn't love it. Hmm. Very close. Minus Fly By Night at four. 
And permanent waves is six, just outside. So see, we're very, we're very similar. See, in our my taste. my problem with hemispheres is it's very top heavy. It's only four tracks, and I don't like two of them. Mm-hmm. Did you not like? Do you not like the trees or circumstances? I don't like the trees. That's fair. Damn. Trees is, is kind of corny. It's it is it's little, too corny for it's my a taste. little corny. And musically, I love it. Remember when the remember lyr- when lyrically, our, remember yeah. when our history teacher played the trees to oh each other, <laughs> and everyone was like so like over that. It was like two minutes in, they were like, "No, they it's, were not. That is, they were not feeling the rush." As as a history nerd, and I would never ever play a rush song in a fucking classroom of high school students. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was digging. I was like, "Oh man, this is the coolest." Yeah, thing. I, re- yeah. I remember we were in that class. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah he's playing some rush." Yeah, the, there there might be like one or two, th- maybe three students that enjoy it, but like most of the class is just going to be like, like "But the what, is, what is this boomer yeah. shit?" Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna completely turn them off, and they're not going to fucking listen to you. <laughs> but yes, uh, with that, with all that being said, I would give this album a solid nine out of ten. Awesome. Yeah, I. I had a feeling that you were really going to enjoy this album, but I didn't know you would like it this much. I I I'm, was genuinely surprised okay. by how much I enjoyed this album. Me me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Because you know I was like, ah, oh, just another Rush project, whatever. Uh, you know, Twenty One Tall is the best one along with Moving Pictures. <laughs> See, I was I had been talking to you about this damn album for like a while. <laughs> I know you 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 always brought it up, and I was just like, uh, I don't want to. Well, bitch. But, <laughs> <laughs> but now I've listened to it, and I'm glad I did. I'm happy. I, I'm actually probably going to order it on vinyl. Awesome. On payday. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was pleasantly surprised because this is one of the only Rush albums I haven't heard. So this was a really fresh experience for me, and I'm really glad I had it. So thanks for that, James. You're welcome. With all that being said, any final thoughts, guys? I'm good. All right. Well, I'm your host, Mac. This is Off the Key Podcast. We're also Mac. <laughs> don't. F- They're also Mac. Yes. And don't forget to dine on honeydew and drink the milk of paradise. Oh, you better. We all got to get that Omar Town of the Deep, baby. <laughs> With that being said, have a good one, guys. See you later. Sorry, uh, future Mac. Yeah, Mac is going to be future Mac. If you were listening to this, we are sorry. Mac, I thought you were, I thought you were going to give us some like really spicy rush. To your list is almost like identical. I almost put it over. here and I wanted to give a shout out to Lacrembo for the intro and outro music. I'm going to put his channel link in the YouTube version of this video, but for those on streaming services, it is spelled L-U-K-R-E-M-B-O. Please go check him out. Thanks guys.